Welcome to the Christchurch Manchester Theology Podcast. The CCM School of Theology meets monthly on Saturday mornings at Luther King House in Manchester. For more information about the training that we offer or about our church in Manchester, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. My home is not on this earth, not in this world. On Saturday, 16th of March, Rebecca Whittlesey taught two sessions at the Christchurch Manchester School of Theology. This is the second of those sessions, where Rebecca looked at the Holy Spirit. Rebecca is on staff at City Hope Church in London and helps run her church's own theology school there. Let's take a listen to the session. So, we come to this next session, which is the Holy Spirit. Now, we've talked about him quite a lot already. That's the... That's the idea, you got that, right? Uh, the biblical theology and the systematic theology halves um, meet up nicely. So we've talked a lot about the Holy Spirit. Now we're going to talk about him uh, as a little bit about who he is and what he does, about what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit. And I don't want this to be um, you know, just learning or information for its sake, because I think as we've already get gathered from the first part of today, the Holy Spirit is uh, in us and with us to give us power. And so this has got to be practical and meaningful and affect us and our lives, otherwise it's just, uh, yeah, it's just information. So I'm sure that's obvious, but I don't want... And, he, you know, if you have questions, and if I can answer them, I will. If I can't, I'll tell you. But do, do ask when it's appropriate, and we'll spend a bit of time talking things through. But at the end, I'd love us to pray. So um, it may be that you've got to take some notes away with you that I haven't covered, if we don't get through it all. But, because it would be a bit of a travesty to do this and then not pray together, I think. So does that okay, sound okay? Okay, so the Holy Spirit... Um, I know you've already done sessions on the Trinity and on the gifts of the Spirit, I believe you did one on, because I'm sure I heard Andy Martin talking about that on a podcast in his own inimitable style. Um, so I don't want to repeat too much of that stuff, but I can't really not talk about them um, if we're talking about the Holy Spirit as well. So hopefully there's not too much repetition. Um, so as I'd already said, and I think this is a helpful thing to keep in mind, that when the Bible talks about the Spirit of God, it's the word that the original hearers and readers would have understood. It's the same word as wind and breath. So when we talk about being Peter being filled with the Spirit, I think for us that often has an analogy of filling a cup, with you just had a cup of tea, or filling it with water, filling something up. Whereas actually maybe it's more helpful to think of the wind filling your sails or the birds, you know, coasting on the wind and being full of the wind of God, full of the breath of God. Does that make sense? I think that's just such a helpful analogy. Um, it's not just an analogy, it's about language. And in our language it doesn't work, and in the Hebrew and the Greek it does. Anyway, so the first thing to say about the Holy Spirit is he's a he, not an it. Uh, I was reading, there's a book... Oh, yeah, so, okay, I was, I was going to mention that. So we use a pronoun that is he. Um, God is not, God the Spirit is, doesn't have a biological sex. Um, 
So we need to talk about him. So we take our lead from the scripture in doing that. Uh, but yeah, obviously, he doesn't have a biological sex. And what I always say about God, the father, is that he's the perfect parenting package. He's not just like a father, he's like a mother. And he brings everything of the perfect parenting example to us. So that's an aside, but thanks for the comment, yeah. So, but I read, there's a book, um, a, a famous sort of textbook, if you like, by Alistair McGrath called Christian Theology. It's a sort of an introduction to theology book. It's quite, it's quite good, it's quite helpful in some ways. But I was reading it, and I, I, he uses the pronoun eat about the spirit a number of times, and I was a bit appalled by that. Um, because you know from your session on the Trinity, he is the Holy Spirit of God. He is one of the three. God in his threeness, as the Bible talks about, is Father, Son, and Spirit. And so, in theological terms, through the history of the church, uh, in your notes here, you, you probably have heard a little bit about how when theology is cemented, or doctrine, if you like, the things we believe about the Christian faith are really thrashed out and cemented, it's usually in response to somebody saying something controversial. So, so in the history of the church... The way we get our understanding of these elements of our faith is by people grappling with what the Bible says and out of the Bible comes our theology. So, uh, as you probably know, the word Trinity, for example, is not in the Bible, but it's a central part of our Christian faith and the way God is expressed in the Bible in, th- in his threeness, which is a better word than Trinity, really, I think, um, is clear. And so out of that, we extrapolate and wrestle with that to get our theology and uh, developments in theology of the Holy Spirit. So the understanding of the Holy Spirit as being God, as being divine, was relatively late in theological terms. Um, so after the war, the fight, if you like, on Christ being divine had been had. Um, you probably heard of Athanasius. He might have come up before. But And that theology, very simply, this is, this is not going to be exhaustive, right? You understand that. But I'll give you a little bit of a of an understanding. So when we read in the Bible about um, the formula for baptism, you know, we read about people baptised in the name of the Father, Son and the Spirit, you've only got to put something else in that gap to realise how weird that would sound, you know, in the name of the Father, Son and the Archangel Gabriel, or Michael, Gabriel's not an Archangel, sorry, uh, something like that, you know, in the name of, and, and the name of the Father, the Son and the Spirit, there's God. What we read earlier as well was, um, remember with uh, Peter and Ananias, Peter interchangeably uses the word spirit and God there. You've lied to the Holy Spirit, you've lied to God, not to men. Um, This is where we get our understanding that the spirit is divine, uh, amongst other places which will come out as we go. Uh, Also, we heard earlier, and the Apostle Paul refers a lot to the church, us, as the temple of the spirit. And we know that the temple throughout scripture is where God dwells. It's where God meets men. It's where the presence of God is. So it's not controversial, I hope, in this setting. But just to say, theologically, uh, there's a process from scripture through church history, an early part of church history, the fourth century, where this cemented understanding comes that, yes, the spirit of God is part of the Godhead, part of the Trinity. He's divine. 
Um, skipping through my notes. Gregory of Nazianzus stressed that scripture applies titles of God to the spirit. He's called holy in and of himself, which basically means he doesn't require sanctifying. He's the one who does the sanctifying. So he is God. Basil of Caesarea, another church father from the 4th century, says this, all who are in need of sanctification turn to the spirit. All those seek him who live by virtue for his breath refreshes them, is that word again, and comes to their aid in the pursuit of their natural and proper end. Capable of perfecting others, the spirit himself lacks nothing. He's not a being who needs to restore his strength, but himself supplies life. So that's the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. Father, Son and Spirit, part of that divine Godhead. Um, There are, as you will know, examples, models that people use to try and explain the Trinity, which are always flawed, aren't they? And sometimes you think, why do we bother? Because as I was trying to explain to this dear lady the other day, I'm doing this alpha with, you realise when I'm trying to unpack this, in fact, we were doing the session on the Holy Spirit, and alpha just, yes, really only yesterday, yeah, yesterday. And I prayed for her, um, and she met with God in a really powerful way, and it was brilliant about trying to explain the Trinity and, and, and part of, we just sometimes have to say, don't we, this mystery of God, I cannot wrap my head around. But it's so important to know the Bible teaches us there's one God, but in his threeness, he's one essence and one will. But as he relates, he's different. That's Trinity. I'm not supposed to be doing Trinity, so don't ask me about that. <laughs> Who did Trinity? God, uh, M- Matt, was it? I did listen to it. Nobody can remember it. That's good. Good to know. Uh, so having said that models don't really work, here you go. So this is Athanasius again from the 4th century. The f- so this, here's, a, here's a couple of images. The Father is the fountain. The Son is the river that flows from the fountain. And the Spirit is the water of the river. Not perfect. Never will be. But just... It's just a picture. Take it or leave it. Here's another one. The Father is light. The Son is the radiance emanating from this light. And the Spirit is the one by whom we are enlightened. And whenever someone receives the Son, they receive the Spirit and Father. And Okay, so we in Christian orthodoxy, as believers, we affirm that he is the Spirit of God. Bible calls him all sorts of things, the spirit of truth, the spirit of wisdom, that wonderful Greek word parakletos, the helper, the one who comes alongside to aid and counsel and help us. He's the spirit of wisdom. He's the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So he's one with the Father and Son in essence. So... I don't know if you're familiar with these terms, but we say he is eternally the spirit in relation to the Father and Son. And in economy, that means in action, really, in the actual outworking of things. He is the spirit in terms of his sentness in time. So that may or may not be helpful. And as I say, that's very much Trinity rather than what we're supposed to be doing. But... 
Okay, I think in your notes, are there? No, there aren't. So what I said before about the way he's mentioned in Scripture in Matthew 28, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, Paul in Corinthians, when he's talking about the Spirit at work amongst us and giving gifts, he says the same Spirit gives gifts, the same God, says Paul. So, the Spirit of God. Now, we've heard about the Spirit at work in Acts But as I said before, it's important that we don't suddenly go, you know, Old Testament, New Testament, they're totally different things. The Spirit was always God, eternally. And so he's been at work forever. And so we see, I'm going to look very briefly at the Old Testament, because as I say, what I really want this to be, I want this to be more applicable and practical for us in terms of the way we understand and, and meet with the Holy Spirit. But very, very briefly, in the Old Testament, the first time we meet the Spirit of God is where? Hovering over the waters in Genesis 1, right at the very beginning of the Bible. So, is that, is, have I skipped ahead? No, there you go. Oh, that's the slide that I missed. Okay, this is a, an Old Testament prophetic scripture, which I just read from Isaiah. Sometimes I think... You know, we know the Joel passage about the Spirit being poured out, but this one I found in Isaiah, and again, it's looking forward. It's a, it's a prophetic passage of hope. For the palace is forsaken, the populous city deserted, the hill and the watchtower will become dens forever, a joy of wild donkeys, a pasture of flocks. So it's talking about desolation and dereliction until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field. And the fruitful field is deemed a forest. So there's, there's a prophetic hope there, even there, about the spirit being poured out. But we meet him first, then in Genesis 1. He's there. Unsurprisingly, God in his threeness is there at the creation, in the creation narrative. We meet him in the Old Testament in terms of giving revelation to people and uh, visions so prophetic visions and revelations in order to speak to the people of God, in order to bring understanding. We also read of him coming specifically onto a person for a moment and a task, don't we? So this is why Joel, when Joel prophesies, then will come a time when I pour my spirit out on all flesh. There's, there's definitely been people filled with the spirit and anointed by the spirit of God in the Old Testament but as we know, the new from Pentecost onwards is a new day. So the one I've put at Exodus 31 is that I think it's the, the one, um, the, the guy is anointed by the Spirit in craft, it says, in all sorts of crafts, so in all sorts of abilities to make the tabernacle the way God has ordered it to be. So God gives these extreme instructions, doesn't he, about how to build this thing and the length of the drapes and the way the poles are to be and all of this detail, and then he, by his spirit, enables people to do the task, to do the job, which is great, just to say, whatever you're doing, pray that God will give you his spirit to enable you. And of course, gifts of leadership as well. God gives anointing of his spirit specifically to people for, for moments, for moments in time to lead the people. <clears throat> and there are many, many others. Feel free to go away and do a survey of that. There are many others. And also, I've just said, interestingly, we know that Saul, as the king, was, was the anointed one to lead at that time. But we read in uh, 1 Samuel of the spirit withdrawing from Saul. 
due to his disobedience. So the Spirit comes on people, he enables people, and he withdraws. So the Holy Spirit at work in the Old Testament. Secondly, the Holy Spirit in the work of Jesus. This is a bit of a whistle-stop tour. In his birth, we read, don't we, that the angel explains to Mary that it's by the Holy Spirit that she'll conceive. He is there. We read as well that at his baptism, Jesus is baptised in the Jordan. I was trying to explain this yesterday to this lady. The Holy Spirit comes on Jesus even in a way that's visible to other people. Uh, and that's mirrored a little bit at Pentecost, isn't it, where there's a, there are visible signs, the tongues of fire. With Jesus' baptism, it's a, something like a dove. Uh, and then, but there's a physical manifestation. People can see the Spirit anointing Jesus. The Spirit, interestingly, leads him into the wilderness, we're told. But he is filled with the Spirit as he spends that 40 days in the wilderness through his temptations and uh, we're told he's full of the spirit to overcome the demonic. Let me just look at that one. Matthew 12, 28. <clears throat> he says, but if I cast out demons by the spirit of God, the kingdom of God has already overtaken you. And he makes that analogy, doesn't he, about breaking into a house and, and taking the plunder. But he's being challenged and what power, by what power he's doing these works of wonder or miracles as we call them. And he says, by the spirit of God. And of course also we know that the Holy Spirit raised Christ from the dead. And Paul says the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you and me. And maybe the Holy Spirit in the church is maybe where the rubber really hits the road, and this is what we're interested in uh, for our purposes. Theology must. Theology is really interesting, isn't it? And one of the things I love about this is that when I, was a, when I became a Christian, I was a child, I was about 12 years old. And I spent quite a long time um, realizing that I'd not really engaged my mind. <laughs> In, uh, in my faith very much and, and I, I think um, I became Christian in a church a bit like Christ Church and a bit like the church I'm in now and I, and I spent all my teenage years there in a, in a youth group, my family weren't part of it it was just me uh, and uh, I realised at some point when I got to ad- young adulthood that I'd sort of uh, just received uh, everything that I was taught I wasn't even really taught it necessarily that well but just as a package, and I've not really applied my mind to grappling and understanding for myself. And when I realised that, I started to apply my mind. Um, and I love the fact that Paul, the Apostle Paul says things like, um, in your thinking, do not be children. You know, you need to grow up and use your minds as well as everything else. And this is, that's a complete aside. But anyway, but the point of theology is not just that it exercises our minds, it's that it, like I said at the beginning, what it does is it causes us to worship and it causes our, our, our understanding to expand so that, as Jesus said right at the beginning, you're going to receive power. Why? To be witnesses. You know, there, are, there are reasons, there are practical outworkings of this that we don't want to miss. So 
Um, yeah, so the Holy Spirit in the church. Uh, in the Old Testament, as I've sort of alluded to, the presence of God was shown on the earth in the glory of God in the temple, in things like the pillar of cloud and fire, and in what we call theophanies. So there's the occasional story where God himself steps into the story, um, shows himself, what are called theophanies. So the most, the one you might be thinking of is uh, at Abraham's tent. There are a number, but um, Abraham's tent where it says the angel of the Lord came to Abraham and Sarah as a theophany. In the Gospels, as we were talking about, I was talking to somebody about this earlier, the, the manifest presence of God on the earth is, uh, is present in Jesus. And so that temple theme we talked about, you know, from Eden all the way through, and, and in Jesus, the presence of God is manifest on the earth through the Son himself, the eternal Son of God himself taken on flesh. So after the ascension, and after Pentecost, therefore, <clears throat> the Holy Spirit is now the primary manifestation of God's presence on the earth. The Trinitarian God is present here by his Spirit. I hope that's obvious. The Father and the Son are not present here in this room in that sense. Um, they're in heaven, but by the Spirit they are. He's one God. So, very quickly on your tables, I want a just chat and make... A one-sentence, however long that sentence might be, a one-sentence explanation to the uninitiated of who the Holy Spirit is and what he does. Okay, just one sentence. So, <laughs> are we, how are we doing? Who would like to share their sentence with the room? Who is the Holy Spirit? The living power of God in us. Yeah. So this, the title for today is, I didn't say this at the beginning, it was on the slide, was the brief is God's power in us. That was Acts 1 to 8 and the Holy Spirit, God's power in us is the title of today. So yeah. Anything else? He shows us who we are. He shows us who we are. Nice. Come to that later. Yeah. He shows us who Jesus is. Shows us who Jesus is. God's dynamo. He's God's dynamo. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. He's God. Yeah. Yeah, that'll do. He uses God's word to transform us. He uses God's word to transform us. Yeah, he enlightens us by the word. Yeah. He's often spoken about as like the mighty counselor. Yes. Yeah. Encourages and equips. Yeah like that word the bible often translates as advocate which is not all that helpful but the the greek word paraclete that idea of someone who's there to yeah your counselor your aid your help your guide he's our witness he's our witness explain what you mean by that so paul talks about the holy spirit being the witness that we have been adopted into this family yeah Roman times, you would have had seven witnesses who attested that you were adopted, but our witness is the Holy Spirit. Brilliant. So when we doubt our salvation yes. or we doubt that God is there, 
you call on the Holy Spirit and he witnesses that you yeah. are indeed saved and yes. he does love you. Yes. Brilliant. <laughs> he witnesses with our spirit that we are children of God. Yeah. Beautiful. It's good. Right, I've got too many notes. We've only got half an hour. It's quite challenging. Do you want to just stay all day? No, it's a joke. It's a joke. It's a joke. Uh, it's my first time in Manchester, so we're going to go out on the town. So, Why are you laughing? <laughs> Uh, that's not encouraging. No, it's fine. It's all going to be good. I know you put the weather on specially. Okay, what are we going to do then? So, there's quite a lot of notes. But what I, what, okay, what we are going to do is this, um, this page here, Baptism in the Spirit. Um, this is interesting. I nicked this, let's be honest, from Andrew Wilson, if any of you know him. But it's good. It's helpful. Uh, and... I want you quickly, on your own, and quickly, don't overthink this, just read through this list of ten things. They're things about the Spirit, so that statements, all who are in Christ today have been born of the Spirit. All who are in Christ today are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Read them all and tick the ones that you agree with. The point of this exercise, as you probably get, is that in many of our churches, I don't know about where you come from, I don't know there's people here from all sorts of traditions and backgrounds, we talk often about, uh, or you may, may have heard talked about, and you may have been taught this, and certainly it's where I come from, about a baptism in the spirit. And baptism comes from that Greek word to be immersed or drenched. And that's why when we baptise people on profession of faith, we dunk them under the water in most of our churches. Um, some, some don't, some do different things. But that's where that word comes from. And as we... Uh, heard earlier, I think I mentioned that John says, um, no, I didn't mention it, John says, I baptise you with water, but one is coming who will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire, and he's referring to Jesus. So that's where that idea of baptism by the Spirit, if you like, a drenching, a pouring in the Spirit. If you, if you get drenched, you know about it, right? You got drenched this morning, some of you, and so you know about it. It's an experience of the Spirit that you know about. And the only reason I put that in there is those are all things that I think are from Scripture, well, those ten things. But they get us thinking about uh, the fact that when we become Christians, it's, we're born of the Spirit of God. Okay? It's a work of the Spirit in us, isn't it, the Bible says. so. Um, but many people then subsequently, at a later time, have a really powerful encounter with God that we might call baptism in the Holy Spirit, or we pray, uh, the Bible uses the phrase receive the Spirit a bit more than it uses the phrase baptise in the Spirit. But that, just, just to help our thinking, we, we, it, we, we must be clear that uh, when we receive Christ, it's a work of his Spirit and his Spirit is at work in us. But for many of you and for me, there was a secondary experience when somebody prayed that I would experience the power of the Spirit and I knew I was drenched. Like when you get rained on, you know you've had a drenching. It's not something, um, it's not un- it wasn't unclear. But I know some people who would say, uh, filling with the Spirit, being born of the Spirit at conversion, that's when you receive the Spirit. And I don't argue with that either. Um, I think, you know, there's, in some ways, I don't think it's helpful to get caught up in that t- 
too much anyway. The thing we know is that we need to be filled with the Spirit and we need to keep receiving God's Spirit. And we'll come to that. Um, And uh, in chapter 8 of Acts, just going back to where we were, we read about the believers in Samaria when Philip met them and and they were converted. And Peter and John come down specifically because they've not yet received the Spirit. They're believers, they've trusted in in Christ, but they've not received the Spirit. And Peter and John come specifically to lay their hands on them and pray, and they're filled with the Spirit. That's, again, another reason that some people uh, build a theology, if you like, of baptism in the Spirit as a subsequent thing to conversion. Um, We don't really have loads of time to go into that. It's a very specific episode in the history of the world, the gospel going to from Jerusalem to Samaria. So I'm not sure you can really build a theology out of that one instance either. And in some senses, I don't want us to get caught up with that because I don't think it really matters. I think what matters is that, as I said before, if we use that analogy of God's spirit like breath and wind, we ask the question, are we catching the wind of God in our lives? Are we filled with the spirit? Are we receiving him? You know, the number of times in the Acts that we read earlier where it says, Peter filled with the Spirit, Peter filled with the Spirit, did this, did that. And for us, the question is not, well, is there such a thing as the baptism of the Spirit that happens after conversion, or is it it happen at the same time? And in in one sense, it it doesn't really matter that much. What matters is that we are filled with the Spirit, that we are catching his wind, his breath in our lives, and that we're posturing ourselves, rather like you might a sailboard or something, to catch him and to be propelled by him. Is that helpful? Do you understand what my point? Okay, having said all that, yesterday with this lady I prayed with, um, she's a believer, and I said to her, we talked about the Holy Spirit, who he is, what he does. Amazing, I didn't actually know that session was coming up yesterday, I just print the stuff off the night before, and I was like, oh, it's the same stuff. Um, And uh, I was explaining to her, and then I said to her, you've experienced the Spirit, I know you have, because I know you've experienced supernatural joy and peace since you became a believer. She's in a difficult situation, uh, but, but I know she's really experienced supernatural peace and joy. She's struggling to pray. She's struggling to read the Bible. It's all very new. And I said, you know, I know you've met with God, but I want to pray now and ask God to fill you with his spirit. And to be honest, I wasn't sure what's going to happen because you never know exactly what's going to happen, do you? But she had this most extraordinary, I mean, you couldn't see anything, but she was so, uh, she said, I feel, I just feel filled. It started here and it just, I just felt filled. Yeah. And... Um, she was so, her face just lit up. She said, I could pray. Even when you stopped praying, I could pray. And, uh, you know, it was, it was fabulous. I was like, wow, thank you, God. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so good. You know, uh, he's the power of God. He's, as this lady said, he's, he's God's power in us today. And um, that's what matters, really. It's like um, um, Philip and the Ethiopian. You know, he's ready, he's listening, you know, he's attentive. And that's what we want to be, isn't it? To the Spirit of God. I've gone way off now. I've gone way off my notes. Okay. Well, 
put that in there just because it was, you know, a mini survey of the activity of the Holy Spirit through specific and for specific people at specific times. Um, I think that's a different thing, as I say, that the Spirit comes on people for specific things and specific times in the Old Testament. And in that scenario, of course, Saul was was usurped. You know, he wasn't any longer the man for the job and he wasn't, didn't any longer have the anointing of God for it. Uh, he messed up. Um, so I, so I, don't, I don't think it's the same at all. And I think, as I say, when we look at Joel's prophetic um, revelation and then from Pentecost onwards, it's a completely different ballgame. The spirit he has been poured out on, on all flesh, on all who receive Christ. And we are born of the spirit. Um, I, I don't want to get into um, apostasy <laughs> because I'm not sure that that's you know, the brief for the day or that helpful. We can chat about it in the break if you want. Okay. Okay. So the spirit, who he is and what he does. So let's just quickly run through some of the things he does. What have I said? I've got, he fills, these are all from the Bible, he baptizes, he empowers, he seals, he enlightens, he sanctifies, he grows fruit in us and he gives us gift. That's quite a lot to do, isn't it? Okay, the Spirit fills us. Again, this is just a little bit of a biblical survey to show you that um, what, what the expectation is of, the God, of, of God. And, it, and Paul says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe in him, so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Hope in us is a work of the Spirit as he fills us. Ephesians 5.18, there's a, a command, if you like, be filled with the Spirit. Uh, that's quite, that's an interesting one, isn't it? It's a bit like saying you put up your sail and the wind has to fill it, but you can't make the, not the wind, you can't do the filling, um, but be filled with the Spirit. Instead of, as Paul says in that quote, instead of being filled with wine, don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled. And as we read, as I say about Peter, they keep being filled and filled. And Paul prays at the very end of that prayer in chapter 3 of Ephesians, so that you will be filled up to all the fullness of God. Baptizes. We've already talked about that, actually. So um, I'm going to skim over that one. Another thing the Spirit does, and as we read about this in Acts, he empowers. He's the Spirit of power. Jesus has promised you will receive power. If we are the Spirit-filled church of Jesus Christ, then power should attend us. It doesn't... There's not really a, a let-out from that expectation is there Stephen as we read full of grace and power God confirmed their witness signs and wonders and miracles miracles works of power may the God of hope and this is Paul again praying may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe in him so that you may abound in hope by the power the work of power of the Holy Spirit in us is sometimes, as I said earlier, and Ephesians 3 brings it out again, is, is power, because it's supernatural, it's not of our own doing, to grasp the truth. Paul says, can you grasp the height and width and depth and uh, um, the other dimension 
of the love of God. Well, the only way you can do it is by the power of the Spirit in you. You can't. And actually, you can't anyway, because in the same bit, Paul says, doesn't he, may you know this love that surpasses knowledge. It's like, well, hold on. Can we know it, or does it surpass knowledge? Yes. It does surpass knowledge, and yes, you can know it by the power of the Spirit. That's what the, the Spirit in us not only empowers for signs and wonders, and we mustn't forget that, and we mustn't sideline that, and believe that God wants to do those things among the church and as the church goes out, but he also empowers us to know the truth. And that's why I think somebody mentioned earlier, you know, in Acts we see that there's so much revelation, there's so much understanding, there's so much joined up thinking all of a sudden once the Spirit has come on the church. This is one of my favourites, seals. The Spirit is a seal, Paul says. It's like a guarantee, like a stamp that shows something is genuine. Is a seal. It's like that wax seal with the imprint of the of the emperor or the governor. Okay, so uh, in Ephesians, Paul says, "When you heard the word of truth, when you believed in Christ, you were marked with the seal of the holy promised Holy Spirit, who is the down payment of our inheritance." We we have the Spirit. We know we've believed in Christ. We've received that seal, that guarantee, a down payment. It is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and has put his seal on us and given his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. All these things are saying the same thing. Okay, and I come now to Romans 8, which this chapter down here has mentioned already. You have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Daddy, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are God's children. So, the reason we know that we belong to God is because his spirit lives in us. That's the answer to that question. The reason we know that we are children of God is the spirit in us cries Father. We know. He witnesses with our spirit. There's a beautiful fusing, if you like, of witness in our spirit with God's spirit in us. We know because we know because we know that we are children of God. And that is a beautiful thing to experience, isn't it? That, that seal, there's like, say, God says, I, I, yes, you've received Christ. Yes, you've, you've been instructed. Yes, you've been taught. Yes, you've learned these things. But I give you my very spirit to live in you, that you know me, that you know you belong to me. And when you see that in people, when you see that in new believers particularly, it's so, it's just amazing. This lady I prayed with yesterday, amazing. She just, I said to her, you know, when you, things are good, great. When things are not good, just, you, just pray. For, oh God, fill me with your spirit. I just need to know. And we do know. We know because he's a seal. God gives us a guarantee. And that guarantee talks, that talks about our future inheritance. All that uh, Christ brings us. So in the here and now, yes, assurance that we belong to God. Yes, peace that we can't get anywhere else. Yes, joy that is not um, mitigated by circumstances or anything else, deep joy. But what it, what it guarantees is our inheritance is that fabulous, amazing, renewed creation of eternity, of untrammeled joy, peace, celebration with our Saviour forever. And, that, and, and his spirit in us, I don't know about you, but his spirit in me just makes me get excited about that, just long for that, just look for that. You know, the spirit 
John says, the spirit and the church say, come Jesus. We just look forward. Look forward to that eternal hope. Something else he does is he enlightens. He brings, somebody's already said this, he brings light to things. He opens our minds. Talked already about using our minds. Um, Promise uh, to disciples in Luke's gospel, when they bring you before the synagogues, the rulers and the authorities, in other words, when you're hauled up to give an account and you are terrified, you're in trouble. Don't worry. The Holy Spirit will teach you what you should say. And Jesus says, the helper, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. He will guide you into all truth. His anointing teaches you about all things. And, and I come back to my earlier point, is that the Holy Spirit can't bring back to remembrance all the things that God has said if we don't know them. You know, as we read the word, as we look, uh, and, and as we do this, actually, you know, as we together give time to the Bible and to understanding his word, the spirit in us enlightens us. He brings things alive. The word is living. If you were to read, if, if without understanding and without being a believer, without the Holy Spirit, you to read the Bible, you may find things that are really interesting. You may find things that draw you. But when we have the Spirit of God in us, he, he makes it genuinely alive, doesn't he? He brings it alive. He teaches us. And we should expect as well in that, I think, um, we can ask God, yeah, speak to me about this, Lord. Speak to me. Tell me how to handle this situation, how to deal with that situation, and expect that he will teach us. And the danger of doing that is that you, your ears need to be attuned. And sometimes you, in fact, not just sometimes, I would counsel all times, you should then talk to someone else about that and make sure that somebody who's mature and experienced in the faith and who you trust, you can say, well, I think God has led me in this way. What do you think? Does that feel right? Does that line up with his written word? Because it always will if it's from God. But, you know, he's alive. He's living and so he's speaking to us, like he says to Philip, Philip, go down to the desert road. I've got something for you there. And he does it. Okay, so he teaches. He sanctifies. So Galatians 5, the flesh has desires that are opposed to the spirit. It's the warring of, of flesh and sin and the spirit. And the spirit has desires opposite to the flesh. Um, now, Sanctification is a, a thing that starts at conversion. So what sanctification means, I mean literally what it, the word means is making holy, making sanctified. <clears throat> and it's a work of the spirit in the believer. It starts at conversion because coming to Christ means transformation. Our, our lives are totally transformed at that moment. We come from darkness into light. We come from death into life. We come from judgment into forgiveness. At the moment, everything changes. It's transformation. And so immediately our desires are transformed. But, I don't know about you, but at that moment all my desires weren't transformed. But the work of the Spirit in us is that he sanctifies. He keeps on changing us. What does the Bible say? The promises that we transform you know, from one degree of glory to another. 
And what does sanctified mean? It just means getting like Jesus. It means we are being conformed to be like our Lord. We are being changed. Our desires are changed. I've been a Christian for a long time, like 35 years or something, which makes me think I should be a lot more mature than I am. But, um, but the work of the Spirit in my life and in yours, I'm sure, is that he is changing me. He is maturing me. He is transforming my desires. They, I am being more conformed into the image of the Son. And I'll never get there, I don't believe, until I meet him. But that's, what the, that's a work of the Spirit that we're to expect. And if it's not happening, then there's something wrong. If it's not happening in your life, then there's something wrong, because that is a work of the Spirit in our lives. Sanctification. Okay, very quickly, fruit. Fruit of the Spirit. So fruit, we had a picture at the beginning of grapes, and uh, you know the vine can't help but produce grapes. The bramble can't help but produce blackberries. That's what it does. And the Spirit in us produces fruit. It's the fruit of him in our lives. And, and interestingly, the word is fruit, not fruits. So I don't think, I think it's helpful actually just to say the fruit of the Spirit is that we are becoming like Jesus. We are sanctified. We are becoming more and more like him in the fruit of the Spirit. We are love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, joy. Yeah, okay, I missed one. Um, so it's not like, well, there's this fruit. I'm good at that fruit, but I'm not so good at that fruit. It's not, fr- it's not fruits. I think, I think it's more helpful to take what it says, which is fruit. That the outcome, the, the natural produce of the spirit in our lives is that we get more like this because we grow towards being like Jesus. Does that make sense? Yes. It's about growing in holiness. Holiness is a bad word, isn't it? It just doesn't feel very culturally relevant, holiness. But all it means is being like Jesus. It means those wonderful attributes of him become ours more and more and more as we become more like him. I want that. you want that? I want the likeness of him in my life more and more. The gifts of the Holy Spirit. I know you did a whole session on this, didn't you? At the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, we hear about gifts of power. Um, As promised, actually, by Joel. Joel talks about visions and dreams and prophecy. And those are gifts enabled by the Spirit's work in us. And so the Spirit is given to empower the gospel witness, as we heard right at the start. I want to keep that front and centre. But Paul says, in the use of gifts, in the things that the Spirit enables you to do, things like prophecy, um, visions from God, dreams, what we might call words of wisdom and knowledge, we'll come on to those in a minute. Paul says, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, seek to abound in order to strengthen the church. And the key thing here about gifts of the Spirit is that our aim must always be to strengthen the church in their use. It doesn't mean, I'm not saying that they're only for use in church, like in the church meeting, because they're not. Clearly Peter's out on the streets healing people and and prophetically preaching 
They're not just for use in the church, but actually what they are for is for strengthening. They're not for my... You see what, my point is they're not for my development. They're not for my uh, C, spiritual CV or whatever. They're for the building up of others. They're for the kingdom, if you like. We'll not use that word today, but... So there's loads of uh, gifts of the Spirit, and there's lots of different lists in the New Testament, and some of them have more than others, and I'm not going to try and um, exhaustively explain them. But what I would say is that the important thing is that 1 Peter says, this is a good good roundup for gifts, right? 1 Peter 4, whoever speaks, let it be with God's words, whoever serves, do so with the strength that God supplies so that in everything God will be glorified through Jesus Christ. So that covers all the bases. If you speak or if you serve in any way, yeah, it's to build up and it's ultimately to bring glory to God. And so whether you, as Paul says, hopefully earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially prophecy, because it builds up the church, whatever you do, however... Um, However familiar you are even with these things, and if you want to come and chat briefly at the end, then feel free. But what matters is that we do it because the Spirit of God is at work in his church for acts of power to proclaim the gospel with powerful witness, to see people set free and healed, to always be attesting to the glory of God through Christ as a result. Thank you so much for for coming along. Been great this morning. I, I personally, I've just loved being reminded of just the awesomeness of Acts and the Holy Spirit and the power and the gifts and fruit, everything. It's just awesome. I, mean, I don't know about you, but I want us to see that our churches, do you? Yeah. yeah, so I'm, that's my prayer. So just as we finish, let's just give Rebecca one massive round of applause. <laughs>